Thanks, John, for praying. And uh, Hey, was, was I the only one that kind of wanted to see Andrew come out and play guitar in a turtle costume? Like, was I, I don't know. I, I was feeling it, Andrew. I was feeling it. I mean, you could do a lot with that. Uh, might be hard with the flippers, but you can pull it off. I can see you doing that. So anyway, thanks, team, for that announcement. That was fantastic. And, and church family, you know, really, the, the idea behind this dive-in event is to be a blessing to our community. That's what we want to do. We're, we're a church committed to growing deeper, walking closer, and reaching farther. And so part of our reaching farther is making ourselves available to the neighborhood around us. And coming out of this whole COVID season, having a, a, an outdoor activity like this where we can enjoy some fun together and share the gospel with our neighbors, it's going to be fantastic. So uh, be sure to be a part of that. Uh, there's a lot of uh, recent book articles that have come out that have talked about the explosion of choices that we have, um, that we face in our lives as sort of like 21st century people. And uh, for example, here's a simple example, or a simple um, way we see this. Cheerios, cereal. You can get original, honey nut, honey nut medley, honey nut medley crunch, apple cinnamon, banana fruit, frosted, chocolate multigrain, multigrain peanut butter, dulce de leche, and cinnamon burst. That's just Cheerios, okay? Tide liquid detergent for laundry. You get original scent plus Febreze plus Febreze Sport, free and gentle plus bleach alternative, cold water, clean breeze, mountain spring plus downy or with Acti Life. Yeah. Head and shoulders shampoo. Oh, this list is fun. Active Sport, Old Spice, Deep Clean, Hair Endurance, Refresh, Extra Strength for Men, Citrus Breeze, Ocean Lift, Dry Scalp Care with Almond Oil, Classic Clean, Sensitive Scalp Care, Itchy Scalp with Eucalyptus, Smooth and Silky, Extra Volume, Clean Apple, Damage Rescue, Extra Strength, Clinical Strength, plus seven more. And don't you ever just look at all those choices and just go, why? Why? There was an article in The Economist that described the overload of choices that we have. Lattes come in tall, short, skinny, decaf, flavored, ice, spice, and, f- and frap. Jeans come flared, bootlegged, skinny, cropped, straight, low-rise, bleach rinsed, dark-washed, and distressed. Uh, moisturizers. They are those moisturizers that, that are nourishing, or lifting, or smoothing, or revitalizing, or conditioning and firming, or refreshing, or rejuvenating. And it goes on and on. And we, kinda, we see all this around us, and we just go... Man, has this really improved our lives? And a lot of the studies are showing no. No. They have not improved our lives at all. Uh, in her book called Choice, Renita Select asks, how is it that this increase in choice through which we can supposedly customize our lives and make them perfect leads not to more satisfaction but rather to greater anxiety, greater feelings of inadequacy and guilt? Uh, In his book, The Paradox of Choice, researcher researcher Barry Schwartz claims, we've reached the point where choice no longer liberates, but debilitates. It might even be said to tyrannize. And yet, as 21st century people, we want, uh, more than that, we demand choices. It it gives us this feeling of of sort of a freedom. And it might be real freedom, it could be imagined freedom, but at least we get to decide. And in stark contrast, when it comes to responding to his teaching, Jesus presents only two choices that can be made. And we find this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Would you go ahead and open there to Matthew 7, 
verse 13 and 14. Jesus has taken us through what it means to be a kingdom citizen and how it begins with being poor in spirit, being those who mourn over sin. And he brings us through how it looks to live out that kingdom citizenship in daily life and how we, we live in such a way where our, our um, righteousness is something that is from within rather than just being pasted onto the outsides of our lives. And it deals with the way uh, we interact with other people. It changes the way we deal with work. It changes the way we deal with sex. It changes the way we deal with being offended or hurt by others. It, it changes the way we deal with the resources that God's given us. It transforms how we pray. It, it touches every part of our life. And he's brought us through uh, understanding that, that when we pray, we're seeking God as our Father. And, and because of God's fathership over us as his people, uh, we are those who rest secure in his grip. And because of that, we're not uh, taken over by anxiety so easily. Uh, we're those that can rest in his firm plan and his wisdom. And it doesn't mean things are easy. Things are still very hard and painful and difficult. And, and in this passage, uh, he, after he calls us to the golden rule, uh, to, to treating others not as they do treat us, but instead treating others according to the way we would want them to treat us. Uh, he now comes to describe um, how to apply these things and the actions that need to be taken in light of everything that he shared. So we're kind of coming now to the beginning of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And as is the practice of our church, we want to honor God's word as we hear it read. So would you please stand and follow along as I read, picking up in verse 13? Here's what Jesus says. In light of everything he's preached, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Let's pray. Lord, help us to grasp your teaching here. We pray that your spirit would work to open our eyes and to impact our hearts, uh, that, that we would be transformed by you. Uh, for, for those that uh, are here today who have professed faith in you, we ask that you'd use this time for each of us to examine where are we at? Where are we walking? How are we living? And for those who have never come to you, Lord, may this be the day that they run to you to be rescued. And we thank you that you make that available to all and call everyone to come to you, the weary and the heavy laden, because you give rest. And even the yoke that you place upon us, it's gentle because you are the humble Savior. And in you, we find rest for our souls. So we look to you right now to do these things amongst us, and we give you thanks in advance for how you will work. In Jesus' name, the risen King, we seek you in this way now. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So what, what the Lord does here is, is really, in many ways, something that sort of just comes face to face with kind of like our modern uh, desire to have choices and multiple choices. And it's almost offensive. You know, we, we want to have... Uh, a full gamut of options, especially, especially, forget all the products I mentioned earlier, when it comes to spiritual things, this is especially true. Um, why? Because to, to not have many variety of choices in the area of, of spiritual things, you end up being what's called narrow-minded, 
which is the worst thing you can possibly be in our contemporary culture. Which, by the way, claiming that someone else believing something is narrow-minded, that's very narrow-minded, isn't it? Yeah, it's a self-contradictory thing, but that's what the culture embraces right now. Let's not be narrow-minded. Even if it's a choice to be made, much better to blend a lot of spiritual options together, right? So let's mix and match and blend several faith traditions together into kind of like one big homogenized mashup of religious preferences. And uh, that's called syncretism. And it's considered to be much more civilized, much more sophisticated, and frankly, a lot more comfortable than what Jesus teaches. But the Lord's not going to let us go there. Instead, he's going to bring all of us to a choice between two options and two options only. There's a broad gate and there's a narrow gate. And that broad gate and narrow gate lead to a broad road and a narrow road. And those two roads lead to two destinations. The broad leads to destruction and the narrow leads to life. So here we find, today we're going to be looking at an urgent call to decide between those two things. And the first element of that choice is two gates, wide or small. Uh, in contemporary culture at that time, you know, first century, people saw these gates all over the place. They were the things that would separate different fields, different pieces of property. And the term used here can be used of different types of gates. Sometimes it could be a, used as a city gate, essentially an opening for which people could tra- through which people could travel through. The first gate that Jesus pictures here, uh, as he brings out the contrast, we find that in, in verse 13. He says, enter the narrow gate, but here's the thing. There's another gate. There's this wide gate. Uh, it would be sort of the gate of a city. You can kind of imagine it's a massive, mass. maybe even entering Jerusalem. When you go there, you can see they have several gates around the city. And so those gates open, and there's a, a wide, broad road from there. And so the, the width there of, of that gate allows all kinds of people to go through. And, and so what that means is you can see the picture here. Uh, because it's, it's open, there's plenty of room for, for all kinds of things to be brought with you. you. You can bring your baggage with you, you know, bring your preferences, uh, bring your idols, bring your demands, bring life the way you want to live it. Just bring it with you. It's, it's possible because the road, is, this opening is huge. And so all the desires of, of human beings in their various forms can come along on this, in, into this broad opening, uh, whether it's self-love or hypocrisy, maybe it's self-righteousness, very, uh, great religiosity, uh, whatever it would be, you can bring it. And, and the thing about it is this, this, this gate is easy to find. <laughs> it's blatant. It's right there, you know, there it is. And you can see it. But in contrast with that, notice what he says in, in verse 14, the gate is small, this other gate. It's a small gate. That can be translated narrow as well. And, and this is an entryway that is, is hard to find, and frankly, it's ignored by many people. It's just a little gate over here. It, you know, who cares? It, look, everyone's going there. That's the grand place. That's where, that's where it's happening. This is just this thing. It's kind of covered. You've you got to look for it. It's tiny. The opposite of what we would see as, as being appealing. It's interesting also the word placement that Jesus uses uh, here with this phrase in verse 14 at the beginning. It's, it's, 
emphatic. He's saying, oh, how narrow is this gate that leads to life. It's not something easily found. And, and you can see right away how this goes against sort of our, our typical sensibility, right? We want to go where things are big, where it's happening, where the crowd is. And Jesus is saying, yeah, it's a really big gate, real easy to see. But you need to make a decision. Which gate are you going to go through? So there's two gates. And those two gates then lead to two roads. Uh, if the gate is, is a, a gate that's wide and a gate that's small, the roads are the road is broad or the road is narrow. I've already mentioned this. The, the broad road is just like the gate. So it's, it's many people, everyone's here, and it's, um, you can carry all your stuff with you. You've got baggage? Great, bring it. Bring it all. And uh, if, if, if there were, you know, hypothetically, if this route, this road, the broad road was, was given a Yelp review, it would get five stars, certainly. It would have comments like, the gate was beautifully decorated, easy to find, the road was spacious, it allowed me to take all my desires, my preferences, my whims, all of my demands with me, the, the path was effortless to travel on. Five stars, ding. And Jesus tells us that, that many enter this path. But this, the other way is, is the exact opposite. Notice in verse 14, the gate is small and the way is narrow. Uh, we get our common phrase, the straight and narrow. You know, a lot, a lot of those kind of phrases come from this sermon. And the straight and narrow, we, we typically think that to mean keep on doing what is right. You know, keep on the straight and narrow. And that's maybe a part of what Jesus is saying here. Certainly, you know, he's, he's bringing out what needs to be done in light of what he's teaching. So it would be right in that sense. But in the context of the sermon, really, uh, with everything he said before, this phrase carries a lot more nuance and weight than just that. Uh, why? Well, because this road is narrow. And that means we need to leave things behind. Again, those preferences, those demands, those whims, we've got to leave them behind. Uh, the idols of the heart, our idol of, of control or the idol of ease or, or the idol of living for the affirmation of other people. Um, those things have to be left behind. You can't take those things with you. Why? Because they will not fit. It's a narrow road. You can't carry them with you. You can't, you know, these days we, we pack how many bags when we go on a trip? I'm, I'm amazed. And you got a 50-pound limit typically, right? Can't go over 50 pounds. Do you know often the Oliveri family goes over the 50 pounds, folks? Hi. We're like switching bags up. Okay, no, we can fit that in here. We'll switch that over there. I can carry that one, you know, and what? Get it down. There's none of that going on here. You've got to travel light because it's the narrow way. Another element of this narrow path is that there are fewer people on it. What does that mean? Well, that means the crowds, the people around you, they're not going to go on that path. They don't want to. They like the broad path. That means if you are going to embrace that narrowness, it means sometimes you're going to feel like you're alone. takes courage. It takes a conviction of heart that comes. He 
see, the, the path is narrow because it's defined by what the Spirit of God has composed in the Word of God. And as the Spirit of God dwells within the heart of God's people, He brings out convictions regarding what He wrote here. And that limits us. Dare I say, it makes us more narrow. And of course, there's an unhealthy use of the term narrow. You know, the term narrow-minded, we're not, we're not straight. We don't stand up there going, yes, I am a narrow-minded Christian. <laughs> you know, that's the, we're not talking about that. You know, certainly we can ride that term way too far. Uh, there's an example of a bishop back in the late 1800s. He came to visit a, a church. And before the bishop went up to speak at this church, uh, he... Uh, <laughs> The pastor of the church kind of was talking about how you know, there could be a day, could be some day, where people will actually create machines whereby we can fly. And the bishop got up afterwards and said, Pastor, let's not get carried away here, okay? People were not meant to fly. God made birds and angels to fly. I'm concerned that you are going to become a heretic if you keep thinking along these lines. One generation later, that bishop's grandson, Bishop Wright, as in <laughs> Orville, yeah, they, they invented the plane, right? They flew, yeah, exactly. So uh, hopefully he felt different about it. I'm not sure if he was still around for that or not. But you can be too narrow-minded, right? The Bible doesn't say that. And we can easily get to the place where we're taking things from Scripture and we think we're applying them correctly and it just makes us narrow for narrow's sake. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Now, we're talking about the narrow way, which means we're talking about scriptural principles that come from the text of Scripture that we're applying to our lives, which means we're not just going to walk along with the crowd. Are you willing to do that? Do you live that way now? This narrow way has another connotation to it as well, uh, it's not just that there are going to be fewer people and you can't take stuff with you, but in addition to that, uh, it's actually going to be characterized by persecution. The word for narrow uh, is based on a root word that actually does mean to cause trouble, to persecute, or to cause suffering hardship. So right there in the term, we understand that there's suffering that is involved in this narrow path. And this shouldn't surprise us. Jesus has already told us about this uh, in, in this very sermon. Go ahead and flip back to Matthew 5, verse 10. Jesus has gone through the Beatitudes here. He's spoken of what it means to be poor in spirit, to mourn over your sin, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's taken us through all these different character traits of a kingdom citizen. And then in verse 10 of chapter 5, he says this, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Again, how rich and full is the life of the one who is persecuted? How happy is the one who is persecuted? For the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on in verse 11. He doesn't just leave it alone. He actually becomes more emphatic in the next verse. And he says, blessed are you. When people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
And then he goes on from there to describe the kingdom as being lived out in this time by kingdom citizens who walk as salt and light in this dark world. That's the idea of walking in the narrow way. Jesus spoke of this elsewhere when he said in in John 15, remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. In other words, Jesus is saying, it's not even really about you. Jesus is saying, it's about me. You're my follower. You're with me. You're in me. And as you walk this narrow way, you are going to be opposed by the world around you. Because the world hates you? Well, eh, maybe. Really, he's saying the world hates me. And this is happening all over the world today. You know, periodically as a church, we'll stop and, and recognize and think on and pray for the persecuted church around the world. There's more persecution of Christians happening today than any other time in history. Even just this week, you know, there's, a, there's a house church movement thriving in, in Afghanistan. And church leaders have been contacted by Taliban forces, and they're saying, we know where you are. Implication, we're coming for you. And the reply has been, with those church leaders, we're not going anywhere. That's happening today. And let's continue to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in, Af- in Afghanistan and in Asia and in Morocco and in other places around the world. Uh, they are being persecuted, not over preferences. No, brothers and sisters, not over preferences, over what Jesus teaches and following his word. This narrow word, uh, road, this narrow road, are we on it? That's a question to ask. Are we on it? How would we know if we are or not? Um, If you're not a person who's come to Jesus yet, the call to you is to turn to him by faith. Trust him. Receive his gift of forgiveness. Come to him as one who is poor in spirit, mourning over your sin. And that invitation is open to you right now. And if you're with us online, we would love to talk to you about this more. You can turn to him even now. Uh, reach out to us uh, at info at claytonvalleychurch.com and, and we can talk with you more about that and get some resources into your hands. If you're here today and that's you, we'd love to talk more after the service as well. But that invitation is open to everyone. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done. Uh, the Lord Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. If you have professed faith in Christ, it's, it's time to stop now and go, okay, uh, am I actually walking on this narrow road? Because if not, it says something about the quality of my faith and whether it's even real or not. Some of the characteristics of walking on this road would be, uh, as I've just mentioned, there's boundaries on what we think and believe determined by the word of God. And uh, on the narrow road, we, we, give, we are given by God thoughts about him that in many ways clarify who he is. Now, in some ways, I want to be careful about that word narrow because certainly uh, thoughts about God are, are, are confined to what he says about himself. And yet, at the same time, when we go into the word and see more about God, our view explodes in being able to see who he is. It's expanded. 
He is the God who is almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, who was and is and is to come. There's never been a quote-unquote time where he wasn't because, frankly, he pre-exists time. Right, you can just kind of loop on that for like, eh, you know, what, what does that mean? Yeah, I know. When you really stop to think about it. So, so when we see the Lord in Scripture, when we see God, we, our, our views expand. And yet it's also clarified and narrowed because God tells us what he's like. He never lies. Uh, he is the one who is holy, holy, holy. Um, You think of his self-description there in in the book of Exodus. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who will not leave the guilty unpunished. And and, and we go on from there, but um, when we're on this, this road, the narrow road, yes, our understanding of God is clarified and enlarged, when we're on this road, our thoughts about salvation are also narrowed. Jesus is the one who said very clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As much as that syncretism we talked about earlier seems so appealing to modern ears, it is historically dishonest, it's theologically dishonest, it is not dealing accurately with how God's made the world. Uh, with how he's called people to turn to him. He's not dealing accurately with how we deal with sin and our separation from God. Jesus is the only one. He's the only one who's even claimed, I have come to die in your place as a substitute for you. I've lived the life you could never live. I've kept the law completely, perfectly, from the heart. I've died in your place. I've risen again. And now if you will believe in me, he says, you can have eternal life. He's the only one that addresses the real problem, separation from God by our sin. And he brings it to conclusion in himself. Salvation, uh, the apostle Peter would say, is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter four. So our thoughts about God are clarified, expanded, Our thoughts about salvation are are also clarified and narrowed. Something else that happens on this road, our affections become more narrow. Why? Because we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Isn't that amazing? The Pharisees that Jesus is confronting in this sermon, they were all about keeping the law. They They were very obedient. They did a lot of righteous stuff. But Jesus is the one that he brings out the reality that we carry out those things because of our intimate connection with the Father. It's who we are in him, adopted, chosen, given an inheritance, sealed by his spirit, who we are in him that then leads to living in a different way. as opposed to doing all this religious stuff to gain his acceptance. That's the opposite of the gospel. That's religion. Works-based religion. So when we come on this narrow path, our affections change. We start loving the things that God loves. We start hating the things that God hates. 
So the characteristics of the narrow road are not the same as that of the broad road. And those who travel the broad road, they really don't want to be bothered with these details. Even even the thought of self-examination to them is to even look at, where am I at on this? It's very unappealing. Um, There's a a part of the musical Wicked. And by the way, I'm talking about the musical. Please stay away from the book. You don't want to go there. The musical only. I had a friend put on the audio book of the book and he was like, ah, I had to turn it off. Had kids in the car. It's not good. But in the musical, there was a a part where a character named Fiero, who's this prince from a far off land, he he meets Galinda. And uh, he's just sort of this guy who is committed to to (laughs) non-commitment. He's very thoughtful about not thinking. Uh, he, uh, and he sings this song, and he describes what he calls the unexamined life. And uh, he's talking about school a little bit, and he talks about how school is, you know, they always teach you the wrong lessons, and, and then he talks about how, this is how the song goes, the lyrics, they go, it, it goes, uh, they want you to become less callow, less shallow, but I say, why invite the stress in? Stop studying strife and learn to live the unexamined life. And the song goes on, dancing through life, skimming the surface, gliding where turf is smooth. Life's more painless for the brainless. Why think too hard when it's so soothing dancing through life? No need to tough it when you can slough it off as I do. Nothing matters, but knowing nothing matters, it's just life. So keep dancing through. You hear that song, that is the wide road. (laughs) That's it. Put to a really catchy tune, by the way. Super catchy. I'm not going to sing it for you, but just saying, it's very catchy. And Jesus warns of the danger of this. And the song is there to actually critique that empty kind of thinking. Um, As Jesus warns about the danger of it, we also need to realize we have an enemy who is committed to keeping us in that frame of mind. We're not on neutral ground here in this world. And we've got to be careful to understand that we're at war. Uh, the, the Screw Tape Letters is a great book. I've referenced it many times before, but C.S. Lewis wrote it about uh, Screw Tape, who is kind of an, uh, it's a fictional book about a, a demon who uh, is kind of overseeing younger demons in, in terms of tempting their patients, as in like, you know, a patient, as a doctor would have. But they want to keep their patient away from the enemy, being God. And so Wormwood is uh, his nephew, apparently. And so Uncle Screwtape is writing to Wormwood on how to keep his patient away from God as much as possible. And he gets into this idea of make sure self-examination doesn't happen, this thing that Jesus is calling us to. Uh, Here's how this this letter kind of goes. He says, you know, the trouble about argument, he's talking to Wormwood, is that it moves the whole struggle into the enemy's, that's God, the enemy's own ground. Because he can argue too. By the very act of arguing, you awaken the patient's reason. And once it's awake, who can foresee the result? Withdrawing his attention from the stream of immediate sense experience, your business is to fix his attention on that stream. So he's saying, keep him into the stream of immediate experience right now. He goes on, teach him to call it, quote unquote, real life. But don't let him ask what it means by real. And so then he gives the example of a patient of his, uh, in the British Museum, the guy used to, you know, kind of read there. And I guess the guy's train of thought was all of a sudden going the wrong way. And so Wormwood writes about how, he, you know, he tries to diffuse the situation. How does he do it? Very simply, with the thought of lunch. Don't get into arguments. Just make them think of lunch. 
And then for a moment, it looked like the patient was thinking that the thing he was dealing with was more important than lunch. And so here's how he countered the thought. Quite. Again, from Wormwood. I'm sorry, from, from Screw Tape. Quite. In fact, this thought is much too important to tackle at the end of a morning. Much better to come back after lunch and deal with it with a fresh mind. <laughs> and the patient goes, oh, that's exactly, of course. And by the time he's down out the doorway into the street, there's a bus going past before he gets to the bottom of the steps. There's this conviction that arises where, oh, what was I, why was I going with that? It's amazing what happens to you when you're hungry. Huh. Best to get caught up again in real life. And then the person just moves on from there. Screwtape concludes this account by saying, he's now safe in our father's house. So that diabolical conclusion, again, it's not the Bible, it's a fictitious you know, work, and yet I think it helps us kind of wake up to the fact that we're at war. And we're not on neutral ground. And Jesus is calling us to self-examination. What road are you on? How are you living? How, are your, how is your thought life tracking? How are your decisions tracking? Are you, are you going along with the crowd on the broad path or are you living along the narrow path? Have you come in through that small gate or are you just kind of walking along with the crowd? What's going on in your life? And this is incredibly significant because ultimately these two gates that lead to these two roads lead to two very different destinations. One is destruction, and the other is life. Jesus describes the wide road as leading to destruction, and that term destruction um, is a very, very definitive term. It, It really has the idea of being destroyed unto all eternity. It's not something that just stops. Jesus would describe hell uh, by referencing the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. Gehenna. It's a place where they burned the garbage. Only Jesus was going to qualify that description by saying, where the worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. And he's hearkening back to Isaiah's prophecy of the same thing. It's a sobering moment to consider that Jesus talked about hell more than anybody. And we need to be clear about that. That's the fate awaiting all those who refuse to repent, who reject Christ's love, who reject the truth that Jesus brings, who decide to go on the broad way. On the other side, though, there's life. Wow. Yeah, it's a small gate, and it's narrow, and you can't take all your stuff with you. And you're having your mind and your thinking clarified, and you're going not with the crowd, and it's hard, it's difficult. It includes persecution, tribulation, and other things. And yet, at the end, what's there? Life. Yahweh is the one to be praised because he is the author of life. We find that in Genesis. He created man and woman from the dust, he breathed divine life into them. Uh, And and there's this beautiful way in which God's made men and women to reflect his image. And if God ever withdraws his breath of life, what happens? There's death. True life depends on the word of God, we're told earlier in the book of Matthew. And Jesus tells us that to, 
to, to live away from God is to, in, in essence, live as a dead person. We find that in, in Luke chapter 15. And so even the basic necessities of life, such as food and clothing, they're, they're gratefully received as gifts from the creator. So he's the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life. He holds uh, all things together by his power in his grace. He's actually kind to the, those who reject him and allowing them to enjoy this creation that he's made. Uh, there's common grace. The sun rises and sets on both the just and the unjust. He's patient. He's desiring that all come to repentance. And he brings over and over again this idea of life, life. Eventually, Jesus calls it eternal life. What is eternal life, he says in John 17, 3? To know God personally through Jesus. That's eternal life. Our God is the one, because of his grace and power, he actually raises the dead. He conquers death. This life is real. It's true. The stuff that the world and others and many of us at times call real life, here's the problem. It's not really as real as actual eternal life found in Christ. Our relationship with God in this present life is, is what Jesus is calling us to because it is walking with him, knowing him, turning to him, repenting, believing, uh, receiving his gift of salvation that results in, from that connection with him, a walk on a different path toward a different destination. And you've got to love the fact that Jesus is using two roads. I mean, that, that type of uh, picture is drawn several times in Scripture. Uh, we find it in Deuteronomy where uh, Yahweh is speaking to the people of Israel and says, I present before you two roads, one to life, one to death, to choose life that you might live. Proverbs is saturated with uh, language of the path of wisdom versus the path of foolishness. And one thing that Proverbs says about that is if you're on the path of wisdom, you're going to fear God. You're going to honor God. And if you're on a foolish path, realize this, you are heading for destruction. And, and understand the logic there. I, I, for example, cannot say to you, yeah, I want to go to Los Angeles, so I'm going to get on 5 North to go to LA. And say, like, Chris, you can't do that. No, I'm, choosing, I'm on the path 5 North, but I want to go to LA. Yeah, if you want to go to LA, you got to go on 5 South because 5 North doesn't lead there. You know, 5 North is going to take you way up to Oregon. In the same way, the path we're on determines where we go. The path of wisdom leads to life. The path of foolishness leads to death. And so many are walking around going, yeah, I'm taking the path I want, but sure, I want life. And we need to lovingly be able to recognize in our own lives and as we interact with other people, hey, if you want to go here, you got to get on the right path. And there's some beautiful irony here. The narrow way, yeah, it's narrow, but you know what else it is? It's completely fulfilling. It provides freedom and joy. It leads to eternal life. It comes about from knowing God the Father through Jesus, his Son. And the beautiful thing is at the end of this road is unspeakable glory and joy given by the Father. So there's a wide gate. Many enter through it. There's a small gate. Notice how Jesus concludes. 
Look at the end of verse 14. And there are a few who find it. There's a contrast. A lot enter the the wide gate. Few even find the narrow one. Now, are we going to go into this and take that term and say, okay, so now we know the numbers of people who are savers and not saved? No, we don't know that. Matter of fact, we have descriptions of other places in Scripture that talks about throngs of people from every tribe and tongue and nation singing with praise unto God. So we praise him for that. There are many who are saved. Jesus' point here is not to give us the numbers, but to show us that we must be diligent to seek out the small gate and to walk on the narrow road that leads to life. It's sobering, isn't it? How do we find the gate? Jesus tells us, In John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, as we've said. It's him. It's Jesus. He is the gate. Run to him. If you're someone who's professed faith in Christ, some questions to ask, what way am I really on right now? Am I walking on the broad road with the kind of a wideness to it? Plenty of room. Am I carrying all my stuff with me? Where are you heading? Are you understanding that there's no room on this path if you're on the narrow path for all your stuff? Just drop it at the gate and keep going. Because you have him. The call of Jesus here is to enter. Isn't that interesting? Look at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. That's the imperative. That's the command. Please. He's, He's calling us. Come in through this gate. It's a joyful command. It's an invitation. Be sure to enter the right gate. Everything else, the road you're on and your ultimate destination depend on which gate you came in through. You may be thinking, well, I really want to find that gate. How do I find it? Well, again, Jesus himself is the gate. There's there's another thing to keep in mind. There's a, a, a preacher from about 100 years ago, Alistair McLaren, And he loved to poetically picture the gate mentioned here by Jesus as having two side posts. And those side posts are found in the beginning of the sermon. Side post one, coming to Jesus with a poverty of spirit. Side post two, come to Jesus mourning over your sin. If that's where you find yourself, you're right there. Come to Jesus and enter in. It's a small gate. And few people are willing to lay aside what's necessary to walk through it. Because no one is sitting there going, yes, that's right. I am a spiritual beggar. We don't gravitate toward that perspective. But when the Holy Spirit is working and we are convicted of our sin and we see things as they really are, we understand, I have got nothing to offer. I need Jesus. So two gates, wide and small, two roads, broad and narrow, two destinations, destruction and life. 
And the question Jesus leaves us with very simply, which path are you on? His call rings out to all who hear him. Enter the narrow gate. You're going to know you're there when you reach the signposts of poor in spirit, recognizing you're empty-handed before God and mourning over your sin. Admit your spiritual poverty. Confess your sin to Jesus in prayer. Ask for his forgiveness. And enter the narrow gate to life. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be at work to help us to see where we're at. And again, for those here today, perhaps who've never come to you, we would pray, even in this moment, that there would just be an admission. I'm a sinner. I have not honored you, God, in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions. And I need forgiveness. And Lord, in that moment, we would ask that there would be the receiving of your grace in Jesus. For those who have come to you, Lord, we pray we would stop and examine ourselves, that we would not drift into an unexamined life, Lord, but instead that we would look and, and really see, what road am I walking on now, and is it narrow? Narrow in the healthy sense, narrow in the biblical sense, with a clear view of you and a clear understanding of what it means to be rescued by you. That we leave behind our idols of the heart, our preferences, our demands, and that we would walk embracing your call, glorifying you, though pressed in, because we are walking not in an open field of of relaxation, but we're in a battlefield right now. Give us the grace to see, Lord, and be glorified as you work in us, that we would know eternal life in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.